Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Well, it's good to see you, Calvary. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen. It's good to be heard. Today, I want to talk about something that we did yesterday. Yesterday, we did ministry team training, which we've been doing three times a year at least in Houston. We've been doing it at least three times a year since 1989. It's an amazing thing that God has called us to do. And uh, we're actually a people who want to join Jesus on his mission in our spheres of influence, and we want to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a part of our equipping, we desire to minister the good news of the kingdom of God in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did. And so uh, when I think about yesterday and I think about the impact of ministry team training through the years, you know, this is actually the water that that I swim in. And there's several things that, that if you've joined Calvary in recent years, you've actually not heard the history and you are not aware of the DNA. We don't do ministry team training and we don't promote power ministry because it's a good idea, because it's a marketing scheme. God has encountered us And God wants us to minister like his son Jesus, who ministered both in word and deed, in proclamation and demonstration. And ministry team training was something that God carved out in our lives as a congregation. And and we keep asking him, do you want us to keep doing this? And the answer is yes. And so we're not doing something to fill the time or because we don't have something better to do. Ministry team training is a part of who we are as a a family of faith here at Calvary. So I want to do a little bit to set the stage, and I want to talk about ministry team training. I want to thank all those that have come and been through ministry team training. We had 13 different churches here represented yesterday, and they represented many different denominations. Several of them are non-denominational. And so there's this draw that God has done. Literally, since 1989, we have trained thousands of people across Texas and even had people come in and fly in from other places or drive in. Uh, They've come from all over for ministry team training. And we have people that don't get to see the expression of God's power in their own congregations. So it is life to them to come here and to get reminded and to get a new deposit, a fresh anointing, a fresh grace so that they can keep doing And they're going to be a people that as God begins to release this in the churches throughout the the city, the state, and the nation, people are going to actually look to them and say, we want what you've got. How how do you pray for people so effectively and so powerfully? And uh, so we've had people come to ministry team training. I mentioned from across the state. We've, we've actually taken ministry team training to, to other places. Uh, we've taught ministry team training internationally because it's, 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 it's cross-cultural in its reality, pointing people to the ways and the words and the works of the Lord Jesus. So we've done it in Latvia, Ukraine, Myanmar, and a bunch of other places. So ministry team training is something that God has called us to do. Why did we start ministry team training and why in the world are we still doing it? Those are two questions that I want to ask and I want to answer. (laughs) Father, we love you. And and again, we are stunned by the worship this morning. Really deeply impacted. Thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your pursuit of us. Thank you for opening our eyes and awakening our hearts to you. God, your love is the most powerful weapon the world has ever seen. Thank you for conquering my heart. Thank you for touching our hearts with your love. And God, I want to ask you for a gift. Would you help us to love you and love others the way you want? Father, I want to love you more deeply completely and fully. And I want the love that you have for me to flow through me to others, unrestricted, unrestrained, untainted. I pray that for me. I pray that for this congregation. I pray this for our friends online. 
Oh God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ministry team training, equipping the church for power ministry. So I'm gonna recommend something to you. Pastor Steve Meeks has written a book called The Last Great Revival. In The Last Great Revival in chapter three, there are parameters God gives us end time parameters of the church in scripture. And what I wanna do is I wanna start with God's vision. What God said, this is what my church is gonna be like at the end. Now many people believe that the church is headed on a downward slope, that it's, 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 just, it's just going down, 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 and it's gonna end with a whimper. But I want you to know that is not what scripture says. Scripture has a totally different testimony and I want you to know what God says, God fulfills. And so what we're about to study and read, I wanna give it as the foundation, taking it from Pastor Steve's book, and, and I've heard this for decades, so it's, it's in us and in me, right? But I wanna say, God is on a track and God is doing things, and, and in its time, it is gonna be beautiful and incredible, and I wanna say powerful. I wanna say all those things. And so, how does the Lord describe the end time church? So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Before Jesus comes again, the church will be a church of unity, intimacy, and maturity. Ephesians 4, 11. It was he who gave some to be a prophet, uh, apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God gives gifted men and women to the body of Christ to equip the people, the body of Christ for their works of service. God does this because he wants us to grow and to become. He wants us to, in this passage, it talks about unity, intimacy, and maturity. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you gifted people until that's established in us. So unity, unity. You're familiar with John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. John 17, 20 to 23 prayer of unity by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples that were with him, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's you and me, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, when you read that, may they be one as you and I are one, there is a depth of unity and oneness that we've yet to explore, isn't there? But if we don't have this before us, as this is where we're headed prophetically, this is where we're headed in reality, we're gonna accept stuff that's really, really much lesser than what God intends. Now, for me personally, I think it's a huge step of faith to take God at his word here and say, so you and me are gonna be as unified and one as the Father and the Son? That's a high place, isn't it? But if we say, you know, I just wanna get along, I just wanna like you, we set the bar too low. And so what we wanna do when we look at things in scripture and our lives and our churches and our institutions don't align with it, we don't lower the bar, we say, God, would you help us to come to a oneness that's as intimate and unified as you have, amen? So when you read the word of God, don't just read past it and go, oh, unity, that's a good thing. Hey, God, how am I doing? at promoting unity, pursuing unity, believing unity, praying for unity, right? Before Christ returns, it is the plan and the will of God to bring the church of Jesus Christ into unity. And unity is not uniformity. God actually likes diversity. 
And so this idea that everybody has to think, feel, and believe like me is ludicrous. It's actually idiotic. It's actually sinful. I personally don't want to be like you. I want to be like him. Are you with me? Are you with me? Now, I want you to be like me because I want you to think, feel, and believe like I do. No, I'm teasing. But this idea... This idea that every church has to believe the same and emphasize the th same thing and are called to be the same thing and everybody in the body is supposed to look the same. We're supposed to look like Jesus, right? What if Jesus was living your life through you? That's what we're supposed to look like. But my goodness, I mean, I'm looking around at a really diverse congregation. I mean, we just look different. We dress different, you know? I was in pastor's prayer group the other day and my friend Elliot Scott looks at me because I was in all black and he says, what are you doing? Uh, what, what? He says, why, why do you wear black all the time? That's a good friend, isn't it? <laughs> and so the honest truth is, the reason why I wear dark colors is because I'm a messy eater. And so black does not show the stuffage. It's just, I've got these beautiful blue shirts and these beautiful things, and I wear them when I play golf and I'm doing things and I'm not eating because I mess up everything that has color. That's an idiosyncrasy, wouldn't you say? You're going, well, I'm not like that. Praise God, right? Praise God. I had someone say to me once, would you please change your clothes? Not at not the service. But, you know, I see the same colors on YouTube every time. And I don't know if it's last week or this week. Well, read the date. <laughs> right? So we're going to come to a oneness. And our oneness is going to stun the world. They're going to go, the world that looks at the church today and the way it's treating each other and the way we talk about one another and the way we measure one another and the way we judge one another and the way we actually declare you're not a Christian to one another, the church is going to look at us come to this unity and, it'll, and Jesus said it's going to cause them to say only God could do that. Jesus must be God, right? Now some of us are waiting until the end when God makes it happen. We need to practice now loving each other, working toward unity, learning to say what we think, feel, and believe, and let the other say what they think, feel, and believe, and yet we stay connected even if we don't see things eye to eye. Now that takes work. That takes grace. That's a challenge. Those words just roll off my tongue. But we get triggered, don't we? We, we think about, Victoria does not get triggered, but but we get triggered. We get triggered when people don't think, feel, and believe like us because we think it's our job to make them agree with us, right? Agree. And see it like we do. So I want to say this is not easy. This is really hard work. But Calvary, God's going to lead us into unity. We might as well start practicing now. A church of intimacy, the knowledge of the Son of God. That word epigenoskos, epigenoskos, epigenosis, sorry. I'm not taking medication anymore, so I don't know what happened. It's not talking about intellectual knowledge. It's referring to an experiential knowledge where, where the, the one becomes unified to its subject. The subject and the object come together. And so, uh, you know, you think about Adam knew his wife Eve. Um, that Hebrew word is, is picking up on the Greek word, it's about a level of intimacy of oneness that, that God wants us to have intimacy with him. So God's calling us to unity. He's calling us to intimacy with the son of God. Intimacy with the son of God and maturity. How mature, how mature does God's own word say the church is to become? How mature? Most Christians are focusing on a lot less standard than the standard of Christ-likeness. I mean, many, many Christians are just trying to not sin as much today as they did yesterday. And they're measuring, you know, I didn't kill anybody today, so I'm doing really good compared to yesterday. 
or whatever it is, right? I mean, sin management, I mean, the church is not about sin management. It's not having a little bit better life. God has actually called us to a maturity that's as mature as the stature of the Son of God. And so a lot of churches measure their maturity, and a lot of Christians, I'm a little bit better than that person, or I'm a little bit better than the church down the road. You wouldn't believe what they think and what they do. But we've got our eyes on the wrong prize, right? I mean, we need to lift them up really high, really high, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, or we need to go really deeply inside and encounter the Christ in us, who lives in us by spirit, and we need to set him. The Father says, this is where we're going, to a level of intimacy and maturity in Christ. So before Christ returns, God will give gifted people to the church. They're gonna be gifted people that he gives to the church until we all come to the unity of the faith, the intimacy with the Son of God, and the full maturity of the full measure of the stature of Christ. So those are three parameters from Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 to 13. Now, in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, we actually see another parameter. It's called unity. I mean, purity. Purity. Jesus is coming back for a pure and a holy bride. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And so that means each of us need to be partnering, cooperating, responding to the divine initiative for our lives to be cleansed and purified. And then the church is going to respond to the word of God and to the work of the Holy Spirit in pursuing this purity and preparing our wedding garments because we want to get ready for that day. Revelation 19, 7 to 8. Revelation 19, 7 to 8. 7 to 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And so the Lord has declared and has prophesied and promised a church of purity. That's coming. And you and I, we're not going to put it off. We're starting the cooperative work even now. The church will also be a church of prayer. Prayer will characterize the church both individually and corporately before the return of Jesus. Isaiah 56, 7, Matthew 12, I mean 21, 12 to 13, the Lord says, my house shall be a house of prayer of all nations. Isaiah 56, 7 actually says there's joy in the house of the Lord. Prayer is not a drudgery. Corporate prayer or individual prayer, it's the place of communion and union and encounter and transformation. And then some of our prayers, they feel like they're not even getting past the ceiling. But you know what? 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, I'm transformed from glory to glory just as I dimly behold him. I remind myself before I do my spiritual practices that, Lord, you said that without faith it's impossible to please you because you, you reward those who seek you. And so when I'm doing spiritual practices, God rewards those who seek him. So, Lord, bless this prayer time. And then, Lord, you also promised me that this, this time with you, you're transforming me whether I feel it or not, whether I have a tangible expression. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Joshua preached a powerful message about worship, didn't he? And he talked about, you know, a lot of people measure the success or the impact of a worship service by what they individually get out of the service. Wasn't it great to be reminded, we're not here for us, we're here for him? And by the way, you can't do that alone. The scripture tells us, Hebrews chapter 10. So, yeah, we're going to be a people of prayer before Jesus returns, his house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And when we read Jesus cleansing the temple in John 2.17, it says of Jesus, according to the Old Testament prophecy, zeal for your father's house has consumed me. The church will ultimately become a house of prayer 
because of the zeal of the Lord. And I want you to know, whatever Jesus is zealous for, it will get done. And he's zealous and jealous for us. Now, that's both your life individually, because you are the temple of God, and it's for us corporately, because we are corporately the dwelling place of God. So the church is going to be a church of unity, intimacy. It's going to be a church of maturity. It's going to be a church of purity. And it's going to be a church of power. A church of power. In the end times, God promises to pour out his spirit and revelation. Joel chapter 2, 28 to 32. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 17 to 21, which references the Joel 2 passage. Acts 2, 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I was raised and I was taught that God can only use people that are holy. That's what I was taught. The only problem with that is it's wrong. God will give his power and he'll use anyone that asks. He will give the Holy Spirit, Luke eleven thirteen, to anyone who asks. Now what happens if you don't have the character to bear the power, the power will mess you up, right? But he'll give it to those who ask. So we come up with these doctrines to try to force things to happen. Listen, God will give power to those who ask. Now, we're doing ministry team training. We're trying to equip people to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to get equipped in doing the works of Jesus and speaking the words of Jesus. We need power to do what we're called to do because Jesus needed power. He needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He came fully God, fully man, but he showed us what it's like to live in total dependency upon God, in total surrender to the Holy Spirit, in total dependency upon the Holy Spirit's power and presence, and God speaking to him. He taught us, he modeled that for us, and so it's not Jesus does the works of power and we can't because we're not God. He came to show us how we were supposed to live. But in our Western culture, well, we don't have faith for all these parameters, I'll be honest, right? The church is really going to come to unity, intimacy, maturity of Christ, and it's going to come to the, pure, the purity. Are you, really, you're believing that? But we can buy that easier than do works of power. Why? Because we live in a culture that is anti-supernatural. I mean, through the years, we've prayed and we've seen miracles and we've seen God do things. And the very next week, people that were on the prayer team that I was a part of, where we saw God do miracles, they come back and say, does God really do that today? How do we know that was God? Because we leak. You are a leaky vessel. I am a leaky vessel. And so we need things to be repeated. We need things to be said. We need, we need that to happen. Amen? Okay, I was supposed to read this verse and not preach on it. So in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the same spirit who anointed and empowered Jesus will be poured out in great measure upon his church. There's at least one simple reason why we've not seen the power of God like we long for it to be. When God releases just a little bit of power, we've abused it or we've been corrupted by it. When God begins to anoint someone with power, we often see them use, they use it for self-aggrandizing or their personal kingdom building or their own selfish reasons. We've simply not had the apostolic character necessary to bear apostolic power. But that's about to change. As we move in, to the final purposes and plans of God, we're gonna to begin to become the church that God prophesied we would be. Now that's why we need that maturity piece, right? We need that character piece of the Lord Jesus because God could pour out on him all the power that was needed because it wouldn't corrupt him. He had the character to bear it. We need character. We need character. Now, ministry team training is about equipping people with capacity and skills to stay in step with the Spirit so we can be equipped to move in power. But we need to grow in our character. 
so that we can bear what the Lord wants to do. And as we begin to enter maturity and unity and purity and power and prayer and intimacy, God's going to finally see the character in us and then he can release what he wants to release. So we're going to enter days when God's going to be able to trust us with increasing levels of power. It was interesting, when we first began to pray for people in ministry team training here at Calvary, the percentage of people that were getting healed was really, really high. I think one of the reasons why God do, did that was because we leak of faith and we needed that kick start, that jump start to remind us this is what I want to do and what I expect. Now we've had ebbs and flows. I want you to be really clear, not everyone I pray for gets healed. Not everybody I witness to gets saved. But I just obey what God says to do, right? And we've all listened to people and testimonies from different ministers online. And there was a, a, a group of people that every time I heard the preacher preach and the prophetic people share their testimonies, it was everybody got healed, you know? And you're, and you're going, man, we're only seeing about 5% or 10% or 20, and that's really good, right? And you're going, and every time I hear their stories, everybody they prayed for got healed. And then I was listening to this tape of an international minister, and, he's, and, he, and he stopped after they told the testimony. And he said, hey, by the way, we're sharing testimonies to encourage you and to inspire you and cast vision for what God can do. And they'd been praying for people with cancer. And so the testimony sounded like 100%, right? He said, we want you to know that in our ministry, we're only seeing 20% of people healed of cancer. It did two things to me. One, it encouraged me. Because I thought, man, we're not seeing 100%. So we're not, you know, God, what's wrong with us? But the other thing, only 20%? That's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? So we just want to keep obeying the Lord and trusting the Lord and doing what he's told us to do and say what he's told us to say and leave the results up to him. And I believe this. If we're faithful in a day of small things, then we'll be able to bear much. We'll see much fruit. But I have people that tell me, hey, I'm waiting for the power to come. When the power of God comes and I can cast out a demon with one word, then I'll begin to do deliverance ministry. Well, I want to say to them, God's not going to use you because you weren't around the day of small things when you prayed for people and nothing happened or only a little happened or only a few things happened, right? So if you're waiting for the perfect, I don't know what to say. Stop it. Start now. Practice now. Practice makes progress. And practice and progress are made in public, and public progress is messy, and so it's going to look like you might not know what you're doing. But it's still worth it, because God will see a vessel that's available, says, I can use that vessel. <coughs> Calvary, let's be available for the Lord. Amen? What Jesus did in his first coming on a local and limited basis in Palestine, the body of Christ will express worldwide at the end of the age. Think about that. What Jesus did in that general locale, the church worldwide is going to do it because, John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing and will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus fully intends for us to do the works that he did because he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And what did Jesus do? He both had words and works. He had the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel and the power of the kingdom of God. One final parameter that we'll mention is harvest. There's going to be a great harvest before Jesus comes again, preceded by many smaller outpourings of the Holy Spirit and times of harvest or revival. We see that in John chapter 4, verse 34 to 38, when we preach that message, uh, the Samaritan, uh, the woman at the well in Samaria, there was a revival that took place there as Jesus ministered. And then we have the other stories, Isaiah 60, 1 to 3. There's going to be a time when there's such brightness on us and we arise and shine in the glory of the Lord that kings and nations come to the brightness of our dawning. I think we're going to keep getting taste of that. We're going to see things. Uh, I could actually mention some stories of some places that, that are experiencing revival right now in uh, the Middle East and other places that they're seeing more people come to Christ in this hour than in the history uh, of the nations. God is up to something. Now, they're not going to play that stuff for you on your social media and your news stations. 
But God is at work. The light is getting lighter. I want you to know that. It's getting brighter and brighter and brighter. God is up to stuff, but it's just not promoted. It's not talked about. God gives us a picture in his Gospels, uh, in the book of Acts, and in the epistles of a church moving in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that the church looked like and sounded like the Lord Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, the Scripture says that Jesus came both proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom of God, both in word and deed. So Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the peoples. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all, all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the, demon, the demonized, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, that's one bookend. The other bookend is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Now listen to how this repeats. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, the amazing thing is, the guys that he asked to pray to join him in his work. They had been walking with him from Matthew chapter four to Matthew chapter nine. They had seen people healed. They had seen lives changed. They had seen people raised from the dead. They had seen miracles of, of provision. They had seen all kinds of things. And then he looks at them, he tells them to pray. And, and, and what does he do? He says, you're the answer to your prayer. I'm gonna use you now. I want you to proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And I want you to demonstrate what it's like when God rules and reigns. I want you, and, and that's healing, salvation, deliverance, and encouragement from Luke chapter 11, verses uh, 13 and following, uh, 18, uh, 17, 18, and then also from Isaiah 61. Jesus, Jesus simply said, I do what the Father's doing in John chapter 5, verse 19. He says, I simply say what the Father's saying in John chapter 8, verse 28. So the secret to the ministry and the life of Jesus was his intimacy with his Father. He was listening, he was paying attention. So that's what we want to do. Ministry team training is trying to teach us to stay in step with the Lord. We're not putting our faith in a model, but we're saying there is a way to stay in step with the Lord so that we're listening for what God's saying and where we can partner with him in what he's doing. From the ESV, John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. The truth is, so much of the time, we lower our standards and we go, it was about the disciples doing that, it was about the apostles doing that, but it's not about you and me. May I raise the standard back up? Jesus said, in John chapter 14, verse 12, anyone who believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. Are you a believer in Jesus? Where's the gap between being a believer in Jesus and being a believer that he wants to use you in power ministry? We leak in this culture because we live in a culture that is anti-supernatural and explains away everything that God does. So you've got to really work at this and get in a community where it's happening and fueling it, and you've got to practice, and you've got to get together with others because God moves in teams, and just hang in there and keep on keeping on. And we're seeing, we're seeing a little, and one day we're going to see a lot as we're faithful. Jesus authorized, he anointed, he empowered his disciples to go and say what he'd been saying and do what he had been doing. Luke chapter nine, verse one and two, he calls the 12, and he gives them power and authority. He gives them power and authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Luke chapter 10, verse one and two, 72 others 
which actually goes back and ties into what God is doing, testifying to the heavenly family and to the angels and, the, and, and, and to, the, uh, to the ones that had fallen in Genesis. 72, the nations, where he divided up the nations among the son of, sons of God. And man, God just ties everything together. I want you to know that I'm taking things back. I'm taking things back. And so he, t- he keeps tying everything together. And then Matthew chapter 28, he just says, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore. Now he's speaking to all the disciples. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Not just a few individuals, but you can actually disciple people groups and nations. And you can do that before they come to Christ. You can show them the way of Jesus and do that. And he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I commanded you to do. Everything. But in our churches, it, when I was growing up, I never even heard that we were supposed to pray for the sick. Well, we did it long distance. We met on Wednesday nights and we had a list of, of tons of people that were sick and we asked God to touch them, right? But I didn't realize that it was a command for me to do the works of Jesus and actually to lay hands on the sick that they might recover. Just like, so we're into healing, salvation, deliverance, and encouragement because that's the work of Jesus. And, and he says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So can you hear me raise the bar again? So if you've been in Calvary for a lot of years, we can leak of faith and we can say, well, that's for the anointed people. That's for the people God uses or chooses, Right? No, 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 no. It's for all of us. Amen? We're all. So practice. Practice, practice, practice. And learn and get equipped and just keep on doing it. Like, I, I mean, I believe one of the things it says we're going to raise the dead. That's one of the things that it says in, in Matthew chapter 10 and, and other places. And so I've actually prayed for people who had died that I got the impression Jesus wanted to raise them from the dead. I've not seen anybody raised from the dead yet. Now, I know ministries and ministers who have seen that. I've, I've talked to people who went into a hospital room and prayed for a dead pa- person and they came back to life. I've, I, I've talked to them. I, they're, they're a true witness. God does that today. Did you know that? He does that. I've personally not experienced that. But you know what? Just because there's a gap in my experience, I'm still praying. I'm not going to quit. And then one day, here's the good news, one day when God moves in great power, like raising the dead and, and, and all these signs and wonders, and people come up and say, so how did you do that? How did you do that? What, what? And, and they're trying to point the finger. I'm going to go, I'm the same yesterday as I am today. Yesterday there was nothing here happening, and today there is. It's about God, right? I mean, I see a lot more on the mission field because they have no plan B or C or Medicare A, B or whatever it is. There's, there's no other plans. There's no plans. If God doesn't touch them, they're doomed. I see a lot more power on the mission field than I see here. I mean, praying for people in Houston is like plowing cement. It's hard work, but that's okay, amen? Because God called us here. You know, uh, I actually wanted to move overseas because I was seeing God do so much more there. And at the time, there was a principle, bless what God is doing and just join him in his work there. And we had this apostle that came through here. And right as I was struggling with that in the early 90s, he asked me a question and and what's going on and what are you struggling with? And I said, well, this is the principle. And he said, you can do more pastoring people here and going occasionally and equipping and inspiring and helping them to see what God's called to do than if you go and live in one little village and just minister in that, he said, pray about that and see if that's God. Later, I gave the same word to an area pastor who came to me and said, I'm seeing God move in Ethiopia in amazing ways. I believe that we're supposed to move there. And I asked him the same question that apostolic person asked me. And as they prayed about it, they felt like they were to stay here. And God has raised up this, this friend of mine, and he is training church planters all over the earth. And all I did was, I just shared what I got from the Lord, right? That's all we do. Freely we receive, freely we give. We just give it away. And I love Houston. And one day we're going to see everything we're praying for. One day. 
So let's practice now. Let's be really, really good. And then when somebody says, so you did that? We're gonna go, oh, no, no, no. We prayed for a day or two or years or decades and we only saw this. But when it really happens, we're gonna say it's all about him, right? I don't want the credit. I don't want the glory because it wasn't me. There were many outpourings and fillings. I mean, when you read the book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, it's like the, the life and the works and the words of Jesus just continue from the gospel of Luke, right? I mean, you're, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. As a matter of fact, they recognize them as having been with who? Jesus. Isn't that a great indictment? I pray there's enough about our lives that people look at us and go, I've recognized you. You've been with Jesus, that Jesus guy. Amen? There were outpourings and fillings of God's spirit. Acts chapter two, verse one to four. Acts chapter four, verse 23 to 21. Acts chapter eight, the, the revival in Samaria. Acts chapter 10, the outpouring of the spirit upon Cornelius' house. Acts chapter 19, the outpouring of the spirit at Ephesus. Man, I want you to know, God continues to do his works and then it continues in the epistles and you read in the epistles that, that signs, wonders, and miracles continued not just the ethical teachings, but God continued to do all that stuff. So the early church advanced through signs, wonders, and miracles. And, and, and just normal people did it in the church, as, as well as the apostles and the leaders. So what happened at Calvary? In 1987, we began to have experiences where God showed up, and the first time it happened, Pastor Steve, we were on a Sunday night service, and he had finished his message, and then he dismissed everyone, and only one couple left. Everybody else stayed. This couple was brand new to Calvary that night. They got to the parking lot, then they said, I think something's going on. They came back in, and they sat down. Now, this has to be God, because for two hours, we sat in the presence of God. Children and adults, that's a miracle. Some people knelt, some people came to the altar, but mostly we just sat in the presence of the Lord. And we didn't know what the Lord was doing, but we just sat there. Actually, Pastor Steve was a gateway. He was having these experiences in his own, his own time with the Lord, where he would get lost in the Lord and God would show up. And, and, and he became a gatekeeper for us. He opened up a way. And so that happened several times. And then in the spring of 88, if I'm remembering correctly, Pastor Steve goes to a conference and then the Lord meets him there and says, I'm carving out time in your services for me to touch people with my presence and power of my Holy Spirit. So he came back and he came back and said, tonight if there's anybody after he'd finished speaking, if there's anybody who's sick, just come and sit on the front row. We're gonna pray for you. And then he prayed for the first person. He was a policeman. He was about six foot forever and he had neck stuff going on and and he prayed for him and this guy had a, a lifelong or a long time deal of pain in his neck God healed him then he looked at the other pastors that were sitting there and he said okay now y'all do the same thing what did you do what what so we began to pray for people so God carved out so listen to this we didn't start ministry time at the end of our services because it's a brilliant idea or because we knew what we were doing. God says, I'm carving out time in your services. Touch people with my presence and my power. So we began to pray for people. And people started coming from all over. We were praying as pastors and leaders for hours after the services. And we had multiple services back then and it was and then we had people calling from appointments. They were, they were actually flying in from Indianapolis and other cities. When you hear about the power of God, people come in from everywhere. And we were dying because we were, we were overwhelmed. We were tired. It was, it was draining. And so Pastor Steve prayed one of those prayers, Lord, what do we do? And uh, the Lord said, do you know what you're doing? He said, no. Well, then you can ask anybody to help you. And so we began to ask people to help us. I think that's a short version. But um, so people began to, to we, we, we actually formed teams. We said, come pray with us. And then because Calvarians are smart people, they said, we don't know what we're doing, so equip us. So we wrote ministry team training one. 
And then they said, so what do we do? How do we walk in more of the Holy Spirit? And what do we do if, if we're operating in these teams, in these settings? So we wrote ministry team training too. And then they said, hey, we've run into issues of the heart. What do we do with issues of the heart and inner healing? And, and so we wrote an advanced class, Healing of the Heart. And then what do you do when you run into the demonic and the demonized and, and the enemy's hold on people? And so, we, they, I mean, we didn't write those manuals as a good idea. People were saying, we want to get equipped. Because when you're doing the work of the Lord, you want to get equipped. When you're in over your head, you want to learn from the mistakes and the ditches that you want to stay out of. You want to get equipped. Do you hear that? And so we weren't even having to make people. People were just coming. And, they, and so we've been doing this. It was not our idea. It was God's idea. And we've been doing ministry team training three times a year since 1989. And we've done that all over the place. God used ministry team training to touch people and churches locally. And, and I, I told you earlier, we have trained thousands of people. What a privilege it is to just simply share our story and our journey. And people are hungry. They're hungry. People don't want just information. They want encounter, right? And they want to be agents of encounter. So we've trained people. And, and again, this goes cross-cultural. We've trained people in, in those faraway cultures as Arkansas. And we've trained people in Latvia and Ukraine and other places. East Texas. Those major cultural differences. It, it translates. Another principle that we live by here is that God, we just keep doing the last thing God has, to, God has told us to do until he tells us to stop. That's just an operating principle that we live by. And every year we say, Lord, do you want us to keep doing MTT? And God says, yes. So we just keep on doing MTT. And so the other privilege that we have is we get contacted a couple of times a year by churches all over. And they say, can we use your materials? And can we teach this in our church? And uh, so we work with them and, and we help them. We just give our, our materials away. We give it away. Hopefully it's different people that have been here and experienced it so that they can give impartation because ministry team training is not just about information, but it's about impartation and it's about experience, about practice, right? We don't need more information. We need to put into practice what we know or what we're hearing. That's, information does not change us. Like I just have preached a powerful message. Information does not change us alone. The Holy Spirit has to take it and use it. And then we have to respond to it. We have to take the information and we have to put it into practice. Then we reflect on our practice. So we've been learning and, and the teachers teach different, the material is the same, but our testimonies and our stories and our learnings are different because we're learning as we go. It's fascinating. I'd like to record my sessions every time because they're just different. And it's not because I don't have a memory. It's because God's bringing up other things and reminding me and doing things. Amen? So that's a brief history of what we do. I want you to know about ministry team training because I want to challenge you to get involved in ministry team training. I want to challenge you to practice praying for people in your spheres of influence where you live, work, and play. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to do that. So we have a model of ministry, and in three minutes, I'm going to teach you how to do this. Okay? Three minutes. It's called the QRST model of ministry. We're not putting our faith in a model, but this model helps us stay in step with the Holy Spirit. QRST, it's our, our, our ministry model for praying for people and staying in step with the Spirit. Q stands for question, R stands for reason, and then S stands for solution, and T stands for teaching. What, when somebody comes up to you for prayer or you ask them how we can pray for you, you're just asking, hey, what's the need? What's the problem? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual? Is it relational? Or what's hurting? Or what do you want God to do? So in the question stage, you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're listening to the person. And then we've told stories where the Holy Spirit said the prayer need was something different than what they said it was. And then sometimes God just says it's this and then he ministers to it. And what's the reason? Why do they need prayer for this area? Why is this person hurting? Why do these have this condition? 
what, what is the need? What's the problem? And again, you're listening at two levels. You're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're listening to the person. Then you come to the solution stage. The solution stage is simple. How do I pray for this person? How do I pray for this person? So we actually lay hands. We ask permission. We lay hands on, on them. We pray with our eyes open because you can actually see the Holy Spirit touching people. We'll close our eyes a little bit if we need to refocus on the Lord to get words of knowledge and words of wisdom and prophetic utterance. But we pray with our eyes open because we want to pay attention to what God's doing with the person and with the team. You can see the Holy Spirit moving. And we simply, we're asking the Lord, how do you want me to pray? How do I help? Help me to know what you're doing, Lord. And so that, we're trying to stay in step. So we pray humbly and graciously and sensitively as the Holy Spirit leads, we pray with our eyes open, watching for physical effects. Where we ask the person question, "What's God doing? What do you feel? What do you? What do you? What do you? What you experiencing?" Um, we, when we give words of knowledge and prophetic things, we we ask humbly, "Does this mean anything to you? Does this bear witness?" We don't just assume, but we let them decide what they fits them and what doesn't. We uh, praying for people in the solution stage is blessing whatever God's doing. So like yesterday at the 11 o'clock hour, we had a time when we're praying for the anointing and empowerment of the Spirit to be released. So a lot of people, when they want the empowerment of the Spirit, they say that means God's going to come and zap me and knock me down. But he doesn't always do that. Sometimes he comes with peace. Sometimes he comes with, with grace. Sometimes he comes with an emotional touch because a person doesn't feel loved or useful by God. They need to feel the love of God before they can be empowered. Sometimes. So we're, we're blessing what God is doing. And then we just stop praying for people when, when the person gets healed or when the person says, I think it's finished, or the team says it's finished, or nothing happens. And, and we leave a good taste in their mouth, so we're going to give some teaching. We're, we're going to teach them where to go from here. So if you don't get healed, we say, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, right? Like I had a young man who came to me, and, and he was just desperate. He was fists were clenched. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need the baptism of the Spirit. I've got to have this. And he said, I've been seeking God for so, so long. And I said, really, how long have you been seeking him? For two whole months. I've been seeking him and I have to have it today. And this little voice in my head, which I didn't say out loud, said, well, I've been doing it for a lot longer than you have. But I prayed for him. And then he kept coming back for weeks because God had to break that that anxiety, this des and, and it wasn't a holy desperation, it was an emotional desperation, right? And so we just give them the general counsel of scripture and we always thank people for letting us pray for them, whether they get healed or not. Because, and then we tell them, if, if you need more prayer or if you didn't get what you needed, come back and get prayer, amen? See, I did that miraculously. Now, there's a whole day of training to do what I just told you. You didn't get it. That's the point. But we've got this model. We're not putting our faith in a model. We're putting our faith in the Lord. The model is a way to stay in step with him. If you're a part of Calvary Community Church, you're under the sound of my voice. Yay, millions online right now. Under the sound of my voice, get trained. Amen? Get equipped to do the works of power in the kingdom of God. We need to get equipped. Would you please stand? We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.